Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. Now, about eight days after these things, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's always more than one side to a story, or so the saying goes. Like the many sides of a mountain, with its curves and clefts, make up just one mountain. The many sides of a story, though different in its curves and secret places, make up just one story in the end. Maybe we should hear some of the sides out for the sake of perspective. Let's start with the mountain. It was an ordinary day for the mountain, that transfiguring day. Now, mountains don't experience days the way humans do. Time moves much more slowly for them. They learn to wait for what they need. That's not to say they're unchanging. It just, it's just that change takes thousands, hundreds of thousands of years to really display a discernible difference. Mountains don't do anything in a hurry. And mountains can communicate in a non-verbal, sensuous way. They may not shiver under a human's touch, but they do register our steps, our stakes in the ground, our borrowing and stealing of its foliage. And they may not speak words, but they do communicate. And they may not have ears to hear, but they do know how to bear witness. The edges of their ridges, the grooves of their sides, they tell a story if we know how to read it. And the mountain had seen a lot of things in its time. Wildfires, thunderstorms, devoted pilgrims and wily bandits. 
It had snuggled under a blanket of snow and been encased in a tomb of ice. It had soaked in the brilliant rays of sun and withstood the unpredictable winds of high elevation. And I give you the scope of the mountain's experience because that day when four men trekked up was not initially a day to remember. And the mountain doesn't remember their names because not because they weren't memorable, but because mountains don't identify humans by names, but by imprints. The leader, who we know by the name of Jesus, tread reverently up the path, as if his feet were kissing the ground in salutations. And the other three men, who we know by the names of Peter, James, and John, stomped up the mountain heavy-footed, some mountains might feel like this heavy-footedness was disrespectful, but not this mountain. She thought the heavy-footedness communicated heavy-heartedness, a gait of someone carrying a difficult burden. And when they arrived at the top, tickling the head of the mountain with their toes, she remembers their knees pressing into the soil. The mountain had always thought it was strange that humans differentiate communication with the creator from the other parts of their lives. I mean, she simply was, and thus was in communication with the great holy mountain. But humans seem to have a more complicated relationship to the great holy mountain. And she had spent centuries, millennia even, trying to understand if this was the great holy mountains doing or the humans doing. And she's still contemplating it today. Now she can't fully explain what happened next. Suddenly, there were more feet on the ground than before. A cloud presided over the space. And then the mountain heard the voice of the great holy mountain. It was unlike any way she had ever heard it before. She knew that resonance anywhere. And a shift occurred in the world of humans after. The mountain has been paved in places since, has weathered countless more storms, and seen its landscape change in beautiful and terrifying ways. But that moment during her life was distinct. She thinks about it often. what about those humans? John's version of the story is a little different than the mountains. He had been traveling with Jesus for a while, and he had recently seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a, just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And John had been sent out to drive out demons and heal the sick and tell of the coming reign of God with the other disciples. And recently, Jesus had asked them, what people were saying about him, which was surprising because Jesus didn't really seem to care what people thought about him. But then he followed it up with a question that pierced John's heart. Who do you say that I am? Well, Peter, ever the one to speak first, answered God's Messiah. And that was that. John had stayed up late at night thinking about that. Messiah? I mean, he guessed he had been thinking along those lines, but it felt different to say that word out loud. 
Then, about a week before, Jesus had started talking about his impending death. And this was perplexing to John. Things had just gotten started. It felt like Jesus was finally getting some traction. But then, Jesus kept going and started talking about their death. Not just that he would die, but they would too. And he wasn't musing about the inevitability of mortality that falls on us all. But rather, he was speaking of death as a way of life. That in order to save their life, they must lose it. Whatever that means. So needless to say, when Jesus invited a few of them to hike up the mountain with him, John agreed immediately. He planned to ask Jesus some follow-up questions on those Messiah and death conversations. That is, if he could get a word in around Peter. But it turned out that John would have more obstacles to asking Jesus his questions than Peter's relentlessness. Because just as they started to pray together, Jesus' face changed. It was like he was glowing from the inside out. The likes he had only heard about around the dinner table when his grandfather started talking about Moses. And almost as if John's brain had manifested it, there was Moses standing in front of him. And the prophet Elijah, too. Surely he must be dreaming, he had thought in his grogginess. The men were standing with Jesus, talking about a departure, an exodus. But not the one Moses was associated with. A new one. And then Peter, of course, spoke up and offered to build dwellings for all three of them. John rolled his eyes and tried to shush him, but secretly, John was just mad he didn't think of it first. But in the end, no one even acknowledged Peter. A cloud had come over them, and John could have sworn he had heard someone speak from them. He couldn't make out what was being said, but he knew it was about Jesus. And then when he turned his attention back to the ground, Moses and Elijah were gone. It was only Jesus there. Was this what always happened on mountain weekends with Jesus? Did mysterious, fantastical things always occur? Did one's brain always get jumbled up in confusion, only to find at the end Jesus standing there alone? John had spent a lot of time thinking about that day. Peter had offered to build those tents, but that clearly wasn't the appropriate response for the moment. But why not? I mean, were mountaintop experiences for validation? Or clarification? Were they supposed to soothe the disciples' concerns or challenge their notions about who Jesus was? John couldn't figure it out. And he hadn't told anyone about it. He hadn't even talked with Peter and James about it. He could scarcely believe it himself. The prophet Elijah remembers the day differently. He had felt the cosmic rumbling of Jesus' incarnation deep in his being. So it felt right when he opened his eyes that he would find Jesus and Moses on the mountain. 
Elijah remembered the stories his parents told around the dinner table about Moses and the deliverance from Egypt. How out in the wilderness, on the precipice of life anew for the Hebrew people, Moses had gone up a mountain himself, received a word from God, and came down with his face aglow. Elijah wondered if the disciples remembered that story when they saw Jesus' face aglow. He hoped so. He really was rooting for them. Now, Elijah had interacted with all sorts of people during his life. The widow from Zarephath, who had needed help for her and her son to survive. King Ahab's people, yeesh, with whom he had gotten in a who's got his bigger match on Mount Carmel. This wasn't his first rodeo on a mountain. But he had always felt a special connection with Moses, and now Jesus. I mean, maybe it was because he knew in the way that time in God's hands is both pinched and stretched out, that it was because they all had mysterious departures from earth. Moses, who died before entering the promised land, had the most normal death of them all, but no one could ever find his bones. Where had they gone? Where had he gone? And Jesus would go on to be crucified, a most heinous way to die. But then he would rise from the dead and ascend to the heavens. And of course, his own departure, in a fiery chariot into the sky, or so the story goes. He'll never tell what really happened. He remembers that transfiguring day fondly, excitedly chatting with the others about the exodus, what the disciples would know is the coming reign of God. And he wished he could have stayed a little longer to dream with Moses and Jesus. And based on Peter's offer to build them all tents, the disciples wanted that too. But he sensed as the clouds rolled in and he heard the Holy One's voice that his time was up. And he really had hoped the three disciples with Jesus that day would understand what was happening the weight of glory in that moment. But he knew from what came after that they didn't. At least not until it was too late. Peter would go on to deny Jesus. They all would abandon him at the cross, and they kept trying to make the kingdom a usurping militaristic government, which is never the way of God. And none of them would talk about that mountain day again. Though the mountaintop experience is often glorified in faith, it didn't seem to change any of them in the long run. And look, Elijah knows that seeing as how the details of his departure from earth are fuzzy at best, he understands he's not the best candidate to lecture others about the way of dying. He knew that the descent down the mountain was a fateful one for Jesus. Jesus would head to Jerusalem to face his death. And just a week or so after talking to the disciples about losing their lives to find them, how Elijah had wished that the men could see unveiled faces and hear creations groaning for what they were. Lights along the way into the valley of death. Lanterns they could carry 
they were a vision of what was to come, of what was even now becoming. He wished that they could see the true faithfulness, the kind Jesus was trying to get at with all that talk about life and death. was not freezing a moment or seeking to stay on the mountain forever, but it was carrying with them what they found on that mountain with Jesus as they go into that valley. It is time now for us to descend down the mountain. We turn our faces toward Jerusalem this week, carrying what we have witnessed as a hope for what is to come. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.